0: Section thirty one of Revelations of a Wife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Mary Roadie Revelations of a Wife by Adele Garrison. Chapter thirty one A Mysterious Stranger. Well, my dear, what are you mooning over that you didn't see me come in? "'I beg your pardon, Madge. "'What is the matter? "'Tell me.' "'Lillian Underwood stood before me a week after her visit to us. "'Lillian, whose entrance into the small reception-room of the Sydenham "'at which we had an appointment, I had not even seen. "'She stood looking down at me with an anxious, alarmed expression in her eyes. "'There is nothing the matter,' I returned evasively. "'Don't tell me a taradiddle, my dear.' lillian countered smoothly you're as white as a sheet and i can see your hands trembling this minute something has happened to upset you but of course if you'd rather not tell me there was a subtle hint of withdrawal in her tone i was afraid that i had offended her after all why not tell her of the stranger who had so startled me look over by the door lillian i said in a low voice not suddenly as if I had just spoken to you about it, but carelessly. Tell me if there is a man still standing there staring at us. Lillian whistled softly beneath her breath. A little trick she has when surprised. Oh! she breathed, and turning, she looked swiftly at the place I had indicated. I see a disappearing back which looks as though it might belong to a masher, "'I just caught sight of him as he turned. "'Well set-up man about middle age, hair sprinkled with grey, rather stunning-looking. "'Yes, that is the man,' I returned, faintly. "'But Lillian, I'm sure he isn't an ordinary masher. "'He had the strangest, saddest, most mysterious look in his eyes. "'It was almost as if he knew me, or thought he did.' and i have the most uncanny feeling about him as if he were someone i had known long ago i can't describe to you the effect he had upon me nonsense lillian said brusquely the man is just an ordinary common lady-killer of the type that infests these hotels and ought to be horsewhipped at sight you're getting fanciful and i don't wonder at it you've had a terrible summer with all that trouble the draper costs you "'and I imagine you haven't been having any too easy a time with dear mamma in law "'I'm mighty glad you're going to get away with Dickie by yourself. "'A week in the mountains ought to set you up wonderfully, "'and you certainly need it when you start weaving mysterious tragedies "'about the common garden variety of Masher.' "'Lillian's rough common sense steadied me, as it always does. "'I felt ashamed of my momentary emotion.' "'I fancy you're right, Lillian,' I said nonchalantly. "'Let's forget about it and have some lunch. Where shall we go?' "'There's a bully little tea-room down the street,' she said, "'the tea-cosies and all that sort of frills, "'and some of their luncheon dishes are delicious. Shall we try it?' "'By all means,' I returned, and we went out of the hotel together. Although I looked around furtively and fearfully as we left the hotel entrance, I could see no trace of the man who had so startled me. Scoring myself for being so foolish as to imagine that the man might still be keeping track of me, I put all thought of his actions away from me, and kept up with Lillian's brisk pace, chatting with her gaily over our past experience in buying hats and other execrable creations turned out by milliners generally. The tea-room proved all that Lillian had promised. Fortunately, we were early enough to escape the noon-hour rush and secure a good table near a window looking out upon the street. "'I like to look out upon the people passing, don't you?' Lillian said as she seated herself. "'Yes, I do,' I assented, and then we turned our attention to the menu cards. "'I'm fearfully hungry,' Lillian announced. "'I've been digging all morning.' oh it's chicken pie here today. her voice held all the glee of a gourmandizing child i don't think these individual chicken pies they serve here can be beaten in new york she went on you know the usual mess potatoes and onions and a little bit of chicken mixed up with the sauce they insult with the name gravy these are the real article just the chicken meat with the delicious gravy covering it baked in the most flaky crust you can imagine. What do you say to those, with some baked potatoes, new lima beans, sliced tomatoes, and an ice for dessert? I don't think it can be improved upon, I said gaily, and then I clutched Lillian's arm. Look quickly, I whispered. The other side of the street. Lillian's eyes followed mine to the opposite side of the street, where, walking slowly along, was the man I had seen in the hotel. He did not once look toward the tea-room, but as he came opposite to it, he turned from the pavement and crossed the street leisurely toward us. "'Oh, I believe he is coming in,' I gasped, and my niece began to tremble beneath me. "'Suppose he is,' Lillian snapped back. Her tone held a contemptuous impatience that braced me as nothing else could." The man has a right to come in here if he wishes. It may be a mere coincidence, or he may have followed you. You're rather fetching in that little sport-rig, my dear, as your mirror probably told you this morning. Unless he obtrudes himself there is nothing you can do or say, and if he should attempt to get fresh, well, I pity him, that's all.' Lillian's threatening air was so comical, that i lost my nervousness and laughed outright at her belligerency the laugh was not a loud one but it evidently was audible to the man entering the door for he turned and cast a quick sharp look upon me before moving on to a table farther down the room the waitress indicated a chair which if he had taken it would have kept his back toward us he refused it with a slight shake of the head and passing around to the other side of the table sat down in a chair which commanded a full view of us lillian's foot beat a quick tattoo beneath the table the insolent old goat she murmured vindictively he'd better look out i'd hate to forget i'm a perfect lady but i'm afraid i may have to break loose if that chap stays around here oh don't say anything to him lillian i pleaded terribly distressed and upset at the very thought of a possible scene "'Let's hurry through our luncheon and get out.' "'We'll do nothing of the kind,' Lillian said. "'Don't think about the man at all. "'Just go ahead and enjoy your luncheon as if he were not here at all. "'I'll attend to his case good and plenty if he gets funny.' "'In spite of Lillian Underwood's kindly admonition, "'I could not enjoy the delicious lunch we had ordered. "'The presence of a mysterious man at the table opposite ours robbed the meal of its flavor and me of my self-possession i could not be sure of course that the man had purposely followed me from the little reception-room of the sydenham where i had waited for lillian there i had first seen him staring frankly at me with such a sad mysterious tragic look in his eyes that i had been most bewildered and upset by it but his appearance at the tea-room within a few minutes of our entering it and his choice of a chair which faced our table indicated rather strongly that he had purposely followed me whether or not lillian's flashing eyes and the withering look she gave him deterred him from gazing at me as steadily as he had at the hotel i had no means of knowing at any rate he did not once stare openly at me i should have known it if he had for his position was such that unless i kept my eyes steadily fixed upon my plate i could not help but see him he was unobtrusive but i received the impression that he was keeping track of every movement in the furtive glances he cast at us from time to time although he had ordered after us his meal kept pace with our own in fact he called for his check paid it, and left the restaurant before we did. As he passed out of the door I drew a breath of relief and fell to my neglected lunch. "'I hope I've seen the last of him,' I said vindictively. Lillian did not answer. I looked up surprised to see her chin cupped in her hands, in the attitude which was characteristic of her when she was studying some problem— her eyes following the man as he made his way slowly down the street, swinging his stick with the preoccupied air. She continued to stare after him until he was out of sight. Then, with a start, she came back to herself. "'You were right, Madge, and I was wrong,' she said reflectively, still as if she were studying her problem. "'That man is no masher.' I looked up startled. "'What makes you think so?' I asked breathlessly. "'I don't know,' she returned. "'But he either thinks he knows you, "'or you remind him of some dead daughter or sister or sweetheart, "'or, oh, there might be any one of a dozen reasons "'why he would want to stare at you. "'I think he's harmless, though. "'He probably won't ever try to speak to you, "'just take it out in following you around and looking at you.' oh i gasped do you think he's going to keep this up looks like it lillian returned but simply ignore him he has all the earmarks of a gentleman i don't think he will annoy you now forget him and enjoy your ice and then we'll go and get that hat under lillian's guidance the selection of the hat proved an easy task lillian bade me good-bye at the door of the hat shop "'You don't need me any longer, do you?' she asked, "'now that this hat question is settled.' "'No, no, Lillian,' I returned, "'and I am awfully grateful to you for giving me so much of your time.' "'Till Wednesday, then,' Lillian said. "'Good-bye.' I had quite a long list in my purse of small purchases to be made. At last even the smallest item on my list was attended to, and wearied as only shopping can tire a woman, I went over to the railroad station. In my hurry of departure in the morning I had forgotten my mileage ticket, so that I had to go to the ticket office to purchase a ticket to Marvin. I had forgotten all about the man who had annoyed me in the reception room of the Sydenham and the little English tea-room, so when i turned from buying my ticket to find him standing near enough to me to have heard the name of marvin i was startled and terrified he did not once glance toward me however but strolled away quickly as if in finding out the name of my home town he had learned all he wished i was thoroughly upset as i hurried to my train and all through my hour's journey home to marvin the thought of the man troubled me What was the secret of his persistent espionage? The coincidences of the day had been too numerous for me to doubt that the man was following me around with the intention of learning my identity. When the train stopped at Marvin, I was aghast to see the mysterious stranger alight from it hurriedly and go into the waiting-room of the station. I thought I saw his scheme. From the window of the station he could see me as I alighted, and either ascertain my identity from the station agent or from the driver of whatever taxi i took i had only felt terror of the man before but now i was thoroughly indignant the thing had gone far enough i told myself grimly instead of getting off the train i passed to the next car resolving to stop at the next village crest haven and take a taxi home from there the ruse succeeded as the train sped on toward Cresthaven I had a quiet little smile at the way I had foiled the curiosity of the mysterious stranger. I debated for some time whether or not I ought to tell Dicky of the incident. I had so much experience of his intensely jealous temperament that I feared he might magnify and distort the incident. Finally I temporized by resolving to say nothing to Dickie unless the man's tracking of me reached the point of attempting to speak to me. But the consciousness of keeping a secret from Dicky made me preoccupied during our dinner. Dicky reached home an hour after I did, and all through the dinner hour, I noticed him casting curious glances at me from time to time. What's the matter? he asked, as after dinner he and I went out to the screened porch to drink our coffee why nothing i responded guiltily why do you ask you act as if you thought you had the responsibility of the great war on your shoulders dick returned i haven't a care in the world i assured him gaily and arousing myself from my depression i spent the next hour in gay inconsequential chatter in an attempt to prove to dicky that i meant what i said in the kitchen i heard the voices of jim and Katie, they were raised earnestly, as if discussing something about which they disagreed. Presently Katie appeared on the veranda. "'Please, Mrs. Graham, can you yours come to kitchen, yours one little minute?' "'Certainly, Katie,' I replied, rising, while Dicky mumbled a half-laughing, half-serious protest. "'I'll be back in a minute, Dickie,' I promised lightly. It was full five before I returned, for Jim had something to tell me which confirmed my impression that the mysterious stranger spying upon me was something to be reckoned with. "'I didn't think I ought to worry you with this, Mrs. Graham, but Katie thinks you ought to know it, and what she says goes, you know.' He cast a fatuous smile at the girl, who giggled joyously. "'Tonight, down at Cresthaven, I overheard one of the taxi-drivers telling another about a guy that had come down there and described a woman whom he said must have gotten off at Cresthaven and taken a taxi back to Marvin. The description fitted you all right, and the driver gave him your name and address. He said he got a five-spot for doing it.' My face was white, my hands cold, as I listened to Jim, but I controlled myself, and said quietly, Thank you, Jim, very much for telling me, but I do not think it amounts to anything. End of chapter 31